We live in a modern, hyper-connected world where everything is becoming smart and connected. Curious about what lies ahead and how this will impact your daily life? I'm Brett Jordan, and this is Smarter Everything, a podcast on the future of connectivity powered by a pharaoh. It seems like most products in the market today have some sort of label or certification that describes what the product does and if it complies with any of the regulatory requirements. However, most consumer electronic devices, especially those in the IoT space, rarely have any sort of label, marker, certification, or even a general attestation statement about their overall security. In today's episode of Smarter Everything, I will be talking with Grace Burkhardt from IOXT, a technology and certification alliance that is trying to fix all of that. We will be talking about the new U.S. Cyber Trust Mark and what IOXT is doing and how their efforts can improve the overall security in the IoT space. Here's my conversation with Grace. So, Grace, it's really great to have you on today on our podcast of Smarter Everything. It's going to be really fun to have you on and to talk a little bit about this smart and connected space. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to delve into what's going on in the IoT industry. I think it would be really good for the listeners to understand a little bit more about IOXT, kind of what you're doing, the direction that you're going. But before we get there, maybe you can take a minute and introduce yourself. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Grace Burkhard. I'm the Director of Operations for the IOXT Alliance. And the IOXT Alliance is a group of manufacturers, OEMs, labs, government, regulators, and other alliances who are really dedicated to harmonizing best security practices and establishing testable standards. You know, our goal is to bring security, transparency, and upgradability to the market and directly into the hands of consumers. That is fantastic. Maybe you can explain it just a little bit deeper. Like, what is IOXT and what do you actually do? That's a, a great question because, you know, a lot of people might misunderstand. And so what we do is really certification around smart home products. It also reaches out to mobile apps, smart building, and IoT devices such as tablets and phones. So what we do is we have our pillars, is what we like to call them. And so this can include no universal passwords, proven cryptography, security expiration dates, software updates. So we have eight of them and we focus on creating test cases. So when you want to get certified by either lab certification or self-attestation through us, you know what you're certifying against using these test cases. And so we have our profiles and just high level profile. We know that there's different vulnerabilities for different devices. It's not all just one size fits all when it comes to IoT devices, right? So we have different profiles, which is starting first and foremost, our base profile. And that is, as it sounds, the most basic minimum requirements for any product to come and certify against. We also have an Android profile, mobile app, residential camera, speaker. So we've got several that are out there and more coming every day. We've got work groups that are creating more. And so with these profiles, a manufacturer can come in, see where they test out against these test cases because 
Some test cases are required. You know, again, those bare minimum requirements that I talked about. But then you also have the ability to show that a product can go above and beyond those products by meeting higher level security test cases. So from a, a consumer standpoint, when they see a product, you know, on the shelf or through an online store and they see an IOXT certified label, that means that that product has met a series of requirements or has completed a series of test cases to make sure that it's actually going to be secure and going to meet best practices as defined by the industry and then also defined by IOXT. Is that correct? That's correct. And we actually have what we call a smart cert label. And so this is a QR code that they may see on either the packaging of the product or could be on the website of the product. And so they can scan that and that will take them to our live website. And this is updated as the manufacturers make updates. And so what this shows is levels on the screen on how far or how much they meet these test cases and the security levels. So some manufacturers love to max out as much as possible when it comes to security. Others are, you know, maybe they can only meet the bare minimum, but we offer that transparency for consumers to see how do the products compare to each other. That's really great. So that hopefully helps consumers make a better buying decision because they can have confidence that this product has at least met a certain baseline for security. And so this would be similar than maybe like to a UL mark for electrical products, where the electrical products to make sure they don't burn down your house when you plug them in. This would be a mark that you could have on your products to say, hey, this technology is less likely to have some sort of cyber issue or cyber compromise. It's not that it won't, but it's met a certain baseline. And then, as you were mentioning, you have a base profile that contains a series of test groups, and then there's individual tests in there. And then you were mentioning that you also have ones that are above it, maybe things around like a mobile app piece or like a smart speaker or something like that, correct? Yeah, because each device comes with different vulnerabilities. And so we really want to make sure that we're rounding out. They're created by our work groups. And so these work groups have industry experts. We don't claim to be the experts at everything all over the world. So we take those industry experts, we work with them, they create these profiles. They're the ones saying, hey, you know, if my products say, let's just, for example, say residential camera, right? The ones in your home. And they're saying, hey, you know, based on our expertise and what we know about our own safety for our own devices, we think X, Y, and Z should be the bare minimum security for any of the residential cameras that are out there. Because we know that they're not made all the same, but we've gotten industry experts to agree that those should be the base requirements. There could always be better security in my mind and a lot of these experts' minds. And so that's where these additional layers come in and, and additional levels of security. And so if someone has that ability, then the manufacturer can go certify and show customers or just the general public, right? Hey, I've got maximum security here. And to your point, you're not going to have a perfect product that can never be hacked or is, you know, 100% not going to be vulnerable because there are new vulnerabilities and hacks every single day, stuff that we can't predict until it happens sometimes. I think you can have these best practices to prevent to a certain extent, 
But yeah, if they're doing everything they can and then they can tell the public that, I think that goes a long way, especially with transparency in today's world. A few episodes ago, we had Kirsty Payne on from the UK. She was former NCSC in the UK and then now works at Splunk. But we were talking a little bit about the EDSI EN303645 standard and then what the UK has done. And her view on it is these base profiles are really about getting the cruft out of the market and getting it off the shelves. And so for things like a fixed username and password on a device that is well-known and well-established, we need to get rid of that from the market because that provides an easy way for people to compromise these devices at scale. And quite honestly, a lot of people don't know how to change those username and passwords on their devices. Or in some cases that we've seen, they are actually hard-coded and they can't be changed. We talked with Waylon Grange a little while ago. Uh, he does a lot of reverse engineering. And he found that the root admin password on some of these solar panels and solar panel controllers was based on an algorithm that took in the serial number of the device, which is very widely known, and then it generated this password for that device. But it was fixed and hard-coded and could never be changed. And so once you understood the algorithm, you could actually log into any of these devices anywhere in the world because because you had the root username and password. So it's a dangerous game, right? We love our algorithms and it can do really great things when it goes well, but I think that there's a lot of potential for things to not go well and potential dangers and threats that are out there. And you know, as soon as you learn the trick, it makes it very easy for someone to come in and do bad things. So this is really fascinating what you're doing with IOXT and the pieces around that. But I've recently heard some information or some press conferences come out from the White House about this new U.S. national label. Can you tell us what this is and kind of like what that means for the market? I think officially it's going by the U.S. Cyber Trustmark Program. And so we have been very involved in this since the beginning. And, you know, it all started with the Executive Order 14028. And then eventually that came out to be NIST IR 8425. And so we've been involved with NIST and with the NSC, with the FCC, with CTA, all the fun acronym groups, right, who are concerned about security and what this means for consumers. We've been working in work groups. We're looking at the technical and non-technical standards that a security device would have to pass in order to obtain this label. We're working in what does this label look like? If they also want to have a QR code. And so what goes on the QR code? What kind of website is it going to take you to? How is that website managed? How big or how small does it have to be? So there's a lot that goes into it. And they did just announce that. We were at the White House press conference when it happened. And so we were able to make our statement along with many others, especially big players within the IoT industry market who are in very, very high support for this label. So essentially what this label is meant to do is very similar to Energy Star, where it's binary, meaning that you see the label and you understand that this device has met these basic requirements, very similar to IOXT, but that the U.S. government is backing. They're taking it very seriously. They're going to have conformity assessments on who can license the label. And so IOXT 
being very involved, having that experience, I think we're in a really good spot to actually be one of the first scheme owners to be able to license the label out to our members and stakeholders. But essentially, they wanted it to be binary so that anybody could just recognize it, but they also wanted it to be layered. And that goes back to the QR code. So if somebody was interested, they wanted to learn more, well, what type of security is this and how much security does this device have? They could scan the QR code that it would have. It would take them to these additional informational pages and they'd be able to learn what type of security or maybe additional information about the product itself. You know, what type of information is it getting from you. So there's a lot of talks still in the process around that. The program has launched, but I think that there's still some more things in the works that need to happen before it's officially ready. So a couple of follow-on questions and clarifying questions about this. You mentioned that IOXT is in a position to be a scheme owner. I'm not sure the listeners would understand that concept or that terminology of what does it mean to be a scheme owner. Can you clarify that a little bit? A scheme owner is essentially an organization that is able to provide the certification services. So a manufacturer could go to a scheme owner, certify their devices, and that scheme owner has been verified by the FCC or a U.S. government to be able to license that. They've made all the conformity assessment to make sure that they understand what's needed to test the products and approve them. So maybe said a different way is that you will create a set of test plans or test cases that a product manufacturer would have to go through and you will submit that to the FCC and the FCC would say, yes, this meets the requirements for the program. And so therefore products that go through this and then based on the other processes you have in place, you can award the U.S. national label. Yes, exactly. This might be a little bit, you know, controversial, but is this actually going to happen? How long will it be before this comes about? And is there precedent from this from other governments? And will it make a difference? Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. And sometimes hard to answer. I think you could have a best case scenario where we have a lot of these top manufacturers and retailers and organizations that are involved who really want to make this see happen. And they want the whole program to be successful. So you're getting that push from industry. You're getting more of a top down so that when the big players do it, even if it might take some time, the medium and smaller players will want to catch up in order to be competitive, right? You're getting the backing from the U.S. government, which I think is huge. The only thing is that sometimes government is known to not be very quick about things, right? We have been working with these organizations for a while, so we understand the process. And it says that it's supposed to be coming out and ready in 2024. 2024 is a whole year, so we love that very big speech, right? But I think that you're getting the push from industry And I think that that is going to be the deciding factor in this. If it was just left up to government, this could take years, which we don't have because every day there are new threats and there are new innovations. And so we don't have time to wait for government. So I think when you're getting the big players involved and they want to see action, 
they have the connections, they have the resources, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting for government, right? I think that just makes it easier. And so hopefully we can get it maybe early 2024. Again, that's just my best case scenario. There's more to come. So definitely stay tuned and look for the updates. What I'm taking from what you're saying is that this program, it was announced, the FCC is going to run with it. And then at some point, best case, 2024, we will see this get rolled out. And that industry and organizations like yourself are being actively engaged and involved in a way to maybe hopefully steer it in a certain direction. Because, you know, from my standpoint, I could see that if regulation comes down and industry's not involved, it could either be too weak or it could be way too strong. And so you could get into this situation where nobody can get the mark or everybody gets the mark. And I think what industry needs to do and and organizations like yourself is to make this slightly aspirational so that maybe everybody has to do a little bit in order to kind of up game. And I know I've talked a little bit about this in in previous episodes, but for the past eight years, I've been talking about this hyper-connected 5G-enabled edge and this transformative culture that we're going to get to where you'll have exponentially more devices per person than you currently do. So the idea that, you know, our current phones and computers and it's effectively like this one-to-one mapping, but in the very near future, we're going to get to where there's orders of magnitude, more devices per person than what we have today. And so I think now is really the time to kind of start figuring out some of these pieces. Otherwise we can be in a really bad spot very quickly. Yeah, I mean, to your point, finding that middle ground is what we specialize in. We've been doing this for several, several years now. Uh, So we're pretty good at finding what can manufacturers actually accomplish and where are people just dragging their feet. But it also, I think, depends on where you're at location-wise, because when you look at Europe and Etsy 303645, that one for, I think, American manufacturers is a little too high at this time. I think the cyber trust mark can help push them in that direction to be able to get there from what we're seeing, even from our authorized labs. We have authorized labs all over the world and the American ones are not really hearing too much about Etsy 303-645 or it's taking a really long process. It could be really expensive. It's really extensive testing to begin with because it's such a high standard to meet. Whereas the cyber trust mark, I think, raises the bar enough. And so you're going to weed out the ones that are dragging their feet, or maybe they just don't care about security at this time. They just want to be in the market. They just want to be a player. And so I think that can help weed those guys out while raising the bar for others who are doing at least the bare minimum. But yeah, I think we all want the highest level of security. I don't think that that is a question at all. I think it's just the matter of what are the resources available or maybe budgeting or, you know, there's a lot of factors that can go into it. You know, maybe you just started out and 
you have the ability to add security by default now versus, oh, I've been in the business for 50 years. Now I have to incorporate it somehow and they're still figuring it out. So there's a lot of factors regardless. But I think with the cyber trust mark, it's going in the right direction. And I think there should be some patience with it because it's still changing. And that's just the nature of IoT in general. But I think that it's definitely going to be a positive instead of a negative. Is the testing going to be mandatory or is it going to be voluntary? Currently, it's voluntary. And so I think that will make it easy, you know, at this point, because there's not a, hey, you have to meet these standards right now. So there's not that panic, chaos, and everybody who wants it can get it. But I think that's going to be a really defining factor for those who do want it and can meet it because that's going to set them apart big time from their competitors. I think people will start to ask, well, why are you not getting it? Or why can't you get it? There may be other reasons that are preventing a manufacturer from being able to or wanting to get that U.S. cyber trust mark. And again, with the big players, you hear Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, HP, LG, they probably have more budget and resources to be able to. But again, with the trickle down, they're going to take the lead and they're going to show others how they can do it. And so if you want to be competitive, others are going to have to jump on board as well. So the FCC version is going to be voluntary, but I could potentially see some of the states in the union, ones especially that are maybe a little more progressive, mandating it. And I think we have precedent for this around privacy legislation and things like that, where some states like California have privacy laws where they're kind of just best practices at the federal level or non-existent. And so I think it's also possible that some states would make it mandatory in order to sell in state. So yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I haven't heard anything specifically myself, but it could happen. You see, you know, New York and California usually leading the charge on security and privacy over other states. And I'm not necessarily against it. I think when something is mandatory, it's nice because you have to do it and it's requiring better security. So I'm not against better security by any means, so I'm okay with it. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Smarter Everything. We really love feedback, so please consider taking a moment to send us a comment or a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time and you like this episode, please consider subscribing. We'll see you next time for Smarter Everything.